What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Lowe's knows you'll do it right. And do it yourself to stay within budget when making updates to your bathroom. We do it right, too, by offering up to 20% off select toilets during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. Step up your style even more with floor tiles starting at just 49 cents a square foot. For your next bath project, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, trying to find out what is up with the Utah Jazz and Taposefalosha co-host, Andrew D. Bailey. We have a mailbag for you on this Monday that we are recording on this early Sunday morning, but... Everything should still be relevant. Here's hoping that no breaking news comes to ruin what we've just recorded. Before we get started, though, just want to remind, beg, implore, plead with everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. Uh, We really love when we see those numbers go up. We even love when we see the reviews. If you have any constructive feedback, you can just give us the five-star rating anyway and then leave whatever notes or things you want to see in the review section. You can also find us wherever podcasts are offered and be sure to get at us on twitter at hardwood knocks but again mirai is japanese for the future and in the future your commute will be less expensive because now you can get a special lease on a toyota mirai powered by hydrogen it emits only water and toyota will cover three years worth of your fuel costs up to fifteen thousand dollars you'll also get three years no cost scheduled maintenance hov lane access and may be eligible for a five thousand dollar state rebate the future sounds pretty good huh get your special lease on a mirai today see san francisco Francisco Toyota or click the banner for details. Toyota, let's go places. Yeah, and the best way to just kind of help us gauge whether or not you like the pod that you're listening is to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And if you've already done that, word of mouth, just spread it on Twitter, on Facebook. Is MySpace still a thing? Do it all up. Instagram, <laughs> throw it out there. Uh, and now, before we actually, actually get started, though, we have to ask, and it feels like forever since I asked this for some reason, but Andy, how are you doing? doing good um i love tearing into these mailbags so that's always fun i'm excited to answer some of these questions how are you doing i'm spectacular you know you say the hypothetical trades are like my bread and butter these mailbags are like your lifeblood (laughs) i think i've I've exhausted um random nba thoughts from my own mind so i need them to be like given to me i mean based based on your twitter feed i don't think you could ever exhaust the thoughts in your mind (laughs) Yeah, I don't. The other day I was doing one of those stats threads and I thought this is getting really repetitive with some of these teams. Um, I might have to take like a week break or something and let stuff freshen up a little bit. But Wow, I think you just started a riot. <laughs> Maybe not right this minute, but once we publish, people are going to be upset. It was nice to get these questions, though, because they, they do always make me think about things that I'm not necessarily thinking about. We, we generally get pretty good questions. When we put and we out. really should thank everyone who because you send it to me. And then I'll retweet it from the NBA math account, which has more followers than either of us. Although I think you might be closing in on them because you're super popular. And I'm well, they're, not. So they're still growing. But my, like when you sent it to me, I retweeted it within like, it had to be two minutes of the text message and you already had 15 replies. So people come to you for this shit, which is just spectacular. Well, I'm glad they do. Because like I said, we, I, I, we, we really do get good questions from this. Um, this is your thing though. This is your show. So can you please lead us? All right. I'm going to start us with Micah Adams at Micah Adams 13. This was an interesting question to me. I don't, maybe it's just because Campbell went off for 60 last night and Doncic had a game winner. Um, but he says better player in 2021, Campbell Walker or Luka Doncic. I'll throw it to you first. All right. Here's my thing. I think and this was something that was going around Twitter. I, th- I can't remember. I think it was Chris Towers from um, 
he's at CBS, was talking about whether Kemba Walker and Kyrie Irving are the same player or, or who is better or something like that. And I think he put it best is that Kemba Walker, Kyrie Irving is probably better than Kemba Walker. Defensively, I'm not so sure. Kemba's always been a little bit of an underrated defender, but the perception of them, that like the difference in perception is just far greater than reality because Kemba is so close to that good. And yeah. that's what makes this question so tough to me. And I saw this too, and I didn't, I didn't really, not that I didn't give it much thought, but I, it was just, I, I would go with Luca, And this yeah, is, me too. I know I knew you would go with Luca and this <laughs> this isn't a barometer for anything but and I don't want to look at one shot as this defining thing but when you look at everything else Luca does and then the shots that he's taking as a rookie he is shooting 33.3% on step back three pointers and that doesn't seem like a super high number again he's a teenager in the NBA taking yeah. step back three pointers at all 11 takes like one or two of those a game, right? He's taken, he's, he's averaging about more than two a game right now. He's 11 of 33 on the season. And so that's like, uh, that's absurd to me. And then when you combine that with his youth, um, how he's going to improve as a passer, I imagine he'll get in better shape, but when you just are able to do that as a rookie, he's been good as advertised, if not better. And it's tough for me when we're talking about two seasons from now, right? Kemba Walker is going to be, 30 then i i just don't maybe it'll be close and and kemba's been fantastic he wasn't supposed to get this good but it would be a little bit surprising is that even too strong of a word if luca wasn't better by that point yeah i would probably be a little bit surprised i think that's a fair word to use there i agree with everything for context by the way james harden is shooting 34.2 percent on step back threes this year yeah that's that um yeah, it's incredible what Luke has done so far. I have a lot of the same reasons for picking him. Um, Kemba's been amazing. He's going to reference the same sort of stuff that you did about him and Kyrie. Um, I know you saw my quote tweet of that Chris Towers tweet. Because I retweeted that it. Kemba, <laughs> Kemba and Kyrie have had basically the same box plus minus over the last four years. Kyrie's is 3.8 and Kemba's is 3.7. Um I agree with Chris and I agree with you that I, he, he's probably better than people realize. But like you said, 2020-21 is going to be his age 30 season. Um, he's undersized for a point guard. Those two things, age and size, and um, I think that probably is about when he'll start his decline. I don't know how steep that decline will be. Maybe he'll still be really solid for four or five years after that. That's That's very possible. Um, but that's generally when those smaller point guards start to slow down a bit, a little bit. And Luka Doncic, meanwhile, will be in his third season at that point, which is a lot of times when st- star players kind of take off. Um, that's a good point. And he just sort of fits the modern game uh, much better than Kimball Walker does. He's He is a playmaking wing, which is going to be huge over the next several years, I think. he's He's got... <laughs> excellent size who did he block at the rim the other day um michael jordan <laughs> he swatted somebody at the rim the other day and i was i just almost couldn't believe it uh he, we were sold this uh idea that he didn't have the athleticism to play at this level which i you know you know that i always thought that was kind of stupid um wait till he's but, he's gonna be the new kevin love does the most with the least yeah he's he's <laughs> He's looked better uh, than even I anticipated. Wow. Uh, This season, he's averaging 20.7 points, seven rebounds, and four and a half assists per 75 possessions. I know you love when I go there. Um, There's only been 86 seasons from 31 players in the history of the NBA that hit all three of those marks. And none of those seasons came from teenagers uh, up until Luka Doncic. So... (laughs) He's off to a ridiculous start. He should only get better over the next two or three years. Um, very cliche, but sky's the limit for Luka Doncic. Wow, that was a weak ending. That's what <laughs> you're talking about. Um, he, uh, he, he can basically play positions one through four. I know the defensive matchups are going to matter because he's not super quick and can't chase around these superstars in the half court, but if he gets just 
in I, I don't want to say he's out of shape because he's playing in the NBA at a high level already at the age of 19. But if he can if he just gets stronger and just his stamina improves and he can get a little bit faster, that's someone that all of a sudden can play positions one through four. We've already seen him play the three and the four unofficially. The two functions like a one. It's just you talked about how huge that's going to be. That just seems like the direction of the NBA right now. And the direction of the NBA like changes every three or four years at this point, every half decade or whatever. But that's, he is the archetype for the player that you want to build your team around. You probably want someone a little bit more explosive on the defensive end. I don't think you need anything more from him on the offensive end, but he's basically just the new ideal archetype. By the way, the guy that he stonewalled at the rim the other day was Derek Favors, uh, who's generally a really, really good favor or uh, finisher. <laughs> good favors. Um, all right. Dave Leonardis at Mr. Leonardis. Not really a question, but <laughs> name, name a player we adored during his pre-Twitter prime that we wouldn't be as fond of if he played today. Um, and if you don't have one teed up on that one, I, I do. I'm going with Allen Iverson, who was very, very good, obviously. He took sort of a ragtag bunch of players in the 76ers all the way to an NBA Finals where they lost to the Lakers. Um, But everyone is picked apart in today's NBA, uh, in the Twitter NBA, like Dave mentions. Uh, And I... He would have been very, very divisive. I think he would have been sort of the opposite end of the spectrum um, of Nikola Jokic, where maybe the numbers guys wouldn't give him the proper due and the eye test guys would would maybe overrate him a little bit. Uh, again, basically just the inverse of what's going on with Nikola Jokic right now. But <clears throat> here's my numbers to back this up. And I, <laughs> this was kind of interesting to me. Iverson's five-year peak was 26.7 points, five assists, 3.9 rebounds, and 2.3 steals per 75 possessions. 509 true shooting, uh, 3.9 box plus minus, uh, 4.3 offensive box plus minus, and 0.148 win shares per 48 minutes. And this will look a lot better when I tweet it because uh, this is a lot of numbers in a uh, audio format. But <laughs> Lou Williams' last five seasons, 24 points, 4.4 assists, 3.1 rebounds, 1.4 steals per 75 possessions, 0.576 true shooting, 0.7 box plus minus, but 3.6 offensive box plus minus, and 0.135 win shares per 48. Um, again, you guys can't see those numbers right now like yeah. I can, but they're it's basically just a little step below on everything from Allen Iverson to Lou Williams. Um, and I think Lou Williams is – he certainly gets plenty of – respect in today's nba he's a six man of the year winner i think he has a lot of fans out there i think most people realize what he's done for the clippers over the last couple years but Allen iverson was touted i think by a lot of people as as like a top five player for much of his career and his numbers aren't like overwhelmingly better than the last five seasons of lou williams so i think we might have a much much different perception of Allen iverson if he was in this era where everything is just um, picked apart piece by piece by piece. I, that's a fantastic pick. I is this, I, and I have no arguments there. I want to know: Does Kobe Bryant count during the pre-Twitter era? Mm-hmm. I, I thought about him too. It's him, and he kind of his career kind of intersected with the social media explosion. Best I, years, definitely pre-NBA Twitter, though. What's the, oh yeah, and. He was just never the most efficient scorer, and a lot of the stuff about him seems more myth than rooted in facts. The other thing for me would be, and I don't necessarily want to get too deep in this podcast, the the relative pass that he gets from the alleged rape in Colorado is it's still mind-blowing to me, and there have been pieces written about this, but I don't think if social media was far more popular back then that we collectively, and I probably blame myself for overlooking this at points or not thinking enough about it, that he, that maybe it's still because we still see athletes get a relative pass there, but the way that he's just allowed to not allowed, but doesn't have to talk about it. And it's just, it's almost viewed as this footnote or an asterisk. And it's not, 
it should be bigger than that. And so I think that would have contributed to how we perceived Kobe Bryant more so in the, the modern years. My other pick would be, and this is based completely on functionality, would be Antoine Walker. I don't think in the, <laughs> the social media era that he ever would have been an all-star. I just he, don't. He would have been, yeah. I, he might not have. He was just touted as like this great shooter. Yeah. He shot 32.5% from beyond the arc for his career. Uh, his best season shooting from beyond the arc, 36.9%, which in 1998, 1999 is whatever, but he only What's cleared his 30, career percentage from three, 32.5%. Yeah. Even, even better, his effective field goal percentage for his career. Do you care to take a gander? Um, I'm going to give you an over under. Based on that 32.9. I'm going to say under. Okay, it's over. I did that on purpose because I didn't really get it right. 46.1. Yeah, his that's true, bad. His true shooting percentage. Let's see if you get this. 49. I'll go under again. Okay, it's under. 48.4. Couldn't believe <laughs> there. Um, he, he probably would have been a punchline in today's NBA. The, <laughs> there would have been so many jokes about, I mean – I yeah I don't even know. <laughs> he was almost the punchline at the time that he played, so um, he's certainly been torn to pieces now. Yeah, three time All Star. I will say he never made an All NBA team. He made All Rookie, if you want to count that. But I just don't. For what he was supposed to be, he really never actually was. Yeah, I remember that one season um, when the Mavericks signed him, Antoine Jameson. I think they still had Nash at the time. They had Dirk, obviously. I think Michael Finley might have even still been on that team. And I remember reading some article in Sports Illustrated about how <laughs> they were they were completely fine with winning games like 150 to 140. Um, Antoine Walker was was really something else. I have a friend who's a big Celtics fan who just loved him and would probably be appalled by this conversation right now. He didn't turn the ball over a lot. Got to give him that. <laughs> There's a good silver lining for Tuan Walker. This one's from. Uh, can you? The, be- I'm sorry. Can you believe how much time he actually spent at small forward in parts of his career too? What does it say? It's for his career. It was 12, percent which is just way too high. But towards the yeah. end of his career, when he was in Miami, he was almost just. He was playing a third or almost half of his minutes there, depending on the season. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's nonsense. Um, he would, he could not survive on the wing nowadays. That's for sure. The at Reddit underscore jazz account. Um, have you noticed the jazz's free throw issues this season? What is, what is he referring to? That's, that's actually my question. (laughs) Sorry. They've been terrible. Um, I think they were 26th before last night's game. Um, and I'm almost certain it got worse after last night. They're now 28th in free throw percentage, 71%. Um, but don't they get to the so, – I didn't check this. But isn't there, Don't they lead the league in free throw rate? I need to look. It, they that, do. They're up there because of how many free throws that Rudy shoots. Um, they are first in free throw rate, 35%. Um <laughs> So first in free throw rate, but 28th in free throw percentage. If they were even like average in free throw percentage, that would be a big strength of theirs. But that's all to preface uh, at Reddit underscore Jazz's question, which is the gang seemed to start turning the woes from the line away towards the end of the second half there. He's referencing the Boston game. As a former player, how do players, let alone teams as a whole, break out of a free throw slump and return to the average? And I just tagged this question because (laughs) – my freshman year of college, I remember I was in like a season-long competition with another guy on the team to see who would miss free throw, miss a free throw first. And I was like 90% from the line through probably the first three quarters of the season. And then I tailed off and finished around like 80%. Then in my sophomore year, I dropped down into the 70s. And then in my junior year, I missed the season with a torn ACL. And then my senior year, are you ready for this? Oh, I'm ready. I think you've told me this before, too. I shot 25% from the free throw line <laughs> senior in college. It was... Chris Dudley would be so proud. <laughs> um, 
the yeah the the fall off, the drop off from my first year playing college basketball to my last was just immense and it was completely a mental thing i knew it was at the time and <clears throat> understandably my coach would pull me in like the end of games that last year and i think that might have contributed to it um i if i was a coach i would try to let players play through that kind of stuff and I didn't have an assistant like really pull me aside and work with me on it until right towards the end of the season. And then I broke my hand right after that. So who knows <laughs> if what he had told me would have helped or not. Um, but I know this has been kind of a debate in the NBA too. I, there was when teams were really employing the hack of whoever strategy, I think it was um, Doc Rivers with DeAndre Jordan wanted to keep him in and kind of empower him and see if he could play through it. I, I don't <laughs> – I don't know if there's an exact answer, but I think what you got to do beyond the obvious, like just get in the gym and shoot a ton of free throws and, you know, repetition, 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 but you just have to let guys play through it. And when the whole team is missing free throws, like the jazz, they don't really have a choice. Um, so they're just going to have to work through it. I don't know if that's a great answer. Um, maybe you hire a sports psychologist or something. Uh, the little tip that helped me at the end of my senior year was to he showed me a clip of Ray Allen shooting free throws and how he leaned in on his free throws. And I guess I was leaning back for some reason. Um, and when I like really focus on leaning in as I shoot free throws, it's a lot better. Um, so maybe there's little like mechanical tweaks you can do here and there. But for the most part, I think it's it's definitely a mental thing when a guy can't make free throws and uh I'm no psychologist, but but generally speaking, I think you just got to play through it. The who are you most disappointed on the Jazz with their free throw shooting? And I, I think the easy answer might be Gobert or Favors, but they've never really been lights out free throw shooters for their careers. Um, let me pull up their free throw percentages. I'm going to tell you mine. I want to I want to know why. I know he doesn't go there often. He's never attempted 100 free throws in a single season, despite only missing one game over the past three years and only missing um, four games. Uh, over the over the past five years combined, Joe Ingles. It's he weird. Should be, he should be shooting like ninety eight percent from the line with the way he hits his three pointers, particularly from the corner. And he's at sixty four point three percent this year. Again, gets there under two times per thirty six minutes. But I've never really understood, and I kind of forgot about it last year because he shot close to eighty percent. And again, he doesn't get there often. But you just look at how accurate he is from the three point line, and he just looks like a dude that should be shooting. 85 90% from the charity stripe. His free throw percentage has always confused me. That's a good one uh, to peg. Dante Exum is a guy that um, he's not a good shooter. Obviously, I think everybody knows that, but he is pretty good at getting to the line the last couple years. And if he wants to raise his ceiling a bit, if he could become like an 80 to 85% free throw shooter, I think that would change an awful lot for him. Um, Donovan Mitchell's at 80% right now. That's probably fine, but he can, I mean, every one of these guys, if they just improved like two or three percent, it could have a pretty big impact. Um, one guy who I, I keep waiting to see if he's going to get more time this season. Cause he can, he's just been really good or really solid. Anyways, Alec Burks, he's shooting 87% from the line. He's always had a pretty high free throw rate. Um, this season it's 435. Um, I, I wonder what he is for his career. It's probably right around there. I've always felt like he does a good job of getting to the line. Career free throw rate is just below 400, and he takes over five free throw attempts per 36 minutes. Um, they've had some games where they look very, very stagnant offensively, and I've, I'm really starting to wonder what a Burks-Mitchell backcourt might look like, but that's that's certainly a that's different discussion. Rubio effect. Breaking <laughs> Rubio is hysterical because – He's shooting for his career, and I know his there, career is crazy. Yeah, right, he, I, wait. I know there are players on the court for this stat, but for his career, he's shooting forty-eight point three percent at the rim, and he's shooting eighty-three point six percent from the foul line. Yeah, and that's the distance. The gap is just crazy. And this season, it's basically his shooting percentage at the rim is like half of what he's shooting at the foul line. And again, I get that her defense is on the court, but you normally would see guys when they're in, especially if they're hitting a bunch of shots at the foul line, when they're inside three feet are probably going to shoot in the sixties to high sixties at the rim. His, his shooting percentages are so weird. If you look up like career 
leaderboards for true shooting percentage and effective field goal percentage. He's he's among the all-time worst in both, but it's significantly better for true shooting percentage just because that free throw percentage has buoyed that number really his entire career. Um, and he's like sneakily pretty good at getting to the line too. Um, let's see here. I'm, I'm over 4.3 4. attempts per 36 yeah. minutes this year, which That's is solid. Really cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they've got an issue with free throws. And like I said, if they could just get up to like the middle of the league and maintain that free throw rate, that would probably boost their offensive rating by a couple points a game. And that, that could be huge for them. At Alex V reporting, Alex, uh, I'm going to guess it's Vihar. We'll see if uh, he corrects me on that. How long till LeBron runs out of patience? Losing to Orlando tonight has to be tough for those guys. I'll let you take this one first. Well, first of all, the Magic have just been beating randomly good teams. Or maybe not. Yeah. They, they beat the Spurs. Who else have they beaten? I should look this up. So it's not... I, especially for I think they're solid. Yeah, they're not. I don't know what they're going to end up by the end of the season, but losing to the Magic is not some massive embarrassment. And can we chill? The Lakers just came off a four-game winning streak. They were <laughs> on the road, and you know what they say about the Orlando nightlife. Disney World <laughs> open late. No, I'm just. But I just, if you're LeBron, you can't. To me, you can't run out of patience this year. And I, I think the Lakers are still going to be a playoff team. If if he want their defense had gotten better until they gave up 180 million points to the Magic on Saturday night, I just don't I, I don't know how if if they go on if there's a point where they lose five in a row, then maybe we'll see him get impatient. But even then, I don't know what they're gonna do. Not at least before uh, December after December 14th when they can start moving some of their expiring contracts. And even then, I don't know if they're willing. They're one probably not willing to take on long term money. And two, I don't know how many first-round picks they're willing to give up or if they're willing to trade any of their youngsters. I would have to imagine Josh Hart is just off-limits at this mm-hmm. point. And I would guess that at least two of Kuzma, Ingram, and Ball are off-limits uh, off for them. Unless, again, unless we're talking about Anthony Davis, but Anthony Davis is not going to be available this season. So Lakers fans can just give up that pipe dream. It's just, I don't see him reaching that point. And if he does, I don't think it's going to be where Cleveland sold off half their team at the trade deadline last year. I don't think it's going to be this huge star acquisition just because the Lakers as a team want to conserve their cap space. And I don't know what, what can you get for a bunch of expiring contracts and a pick really? I just don't, you're not going to, you're not going to get Kemba for that either. So I, I think, I think they'll make moves. Maybe they'll be active on the buyout market. Maybe they'll trade for a veteran at the deadline who's on an expiring contract or really has really cheap money uh, for 2019, 2020, but I don't see him really running out of patience. And if he does, I, that's inexplicable to me just because as he's even said, he's supposed to know what he's getting into at this point. And you're not going to beat the warriors anyway. So. Yeah. I think we've said that on this podcast a few times that he, if he didn't know, uh, that this was going to be a up and down season, then that's on him. He should have known that. Um, and my my first response to that question when I read it was, "What do they even do at this point?" Maybe Kemba Walker is slightly more gettable now than he was at the beginning of the season. I'm not sure. I think Damian Lillard is is certainly less gettable now than he was at the start of the season. Um, do you know what we're not talking about enough with the Blazers though? Is that let's just say they flame out in the playoffs again this season. If the Warriors are going to disband and they've managed to kind of weather this storm, now you, after this year, you only have a year left on Evan Turner's contract as Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum get set for free agency in 2020. Is it 2021 for both of them? They're, it's the same year, I believe. They're going to have cap space then. It's got to be 2020. I think I'm, no, 2021. I'm, it's just... Well, my my point is is that if you if you wait out the Warriors being the Warriors as of right now, there's a chance you'll have cap space next summer, the year before Lillard and McCollum hit free agency, and yeah. you can sell yourself on doing more things in the West with this group if the Warriors disband. But then knowing that you're so close to being able to make significant upgrades on the roster potentially. Sorry, go ahead though. That was just no, something that was we've we've kind of a lot of people have killed Neil Shea for keeping this team together, but if 
if that's the result where they're going to contend for a top four seed in the West, and even if they keep getting bounced in the first round, if you wait out Golden State, even if they just lose Kevin Durant, it's not Durant and Draymond Green, you've done, I don't know if you've done your job, but you've put yourself in a pretty good position. Yeah, I think that's all true. Um, and I, I don't think they're going to break up that core this season is the not point yet. I and, and I um, I would be surprised if the Lakers end up with Damian Lillard. I'll just say that this season. Um, I think we also mentioned the idea of trading for Vucevic at some point, mm-hmm. uh, which I still think is an interesting possibility. Maybe they get to a point where they want to make a deal uh, later in the season and Orlando wants to lean a little bit harder into the tank and give more minutes to Mo Bamba. Maybe that's something that they could kick around in a couple months. But um, – that's that's generally my answer. They're probably still a couple months away if he loses patience, and uh, he should have he should have known going in that this was going to be an interesting experiment, at least for the first year. It'd be, and I wonder if they would be willing to trade for kind of an overpriced veteran that might potentially hit the buyout market because I don't know that they're going to be a buyout destination. If you're, this would be a perfect example. We've talked about him in the podcast. Before, if it's Trevor Ariza, what if you're giving up KCP for Trevor Ariza? Or even if it's, maybe you're even able to give up less. Uh, you don't have to give up KCP. You can give up two of your expirings. Rondo plus filler would work. And then like a, a whatever pick just to get Trevor Ariza. Because I don't know that he would sign with you should he reach the buyout market. Because yes, you're not going to be able to him to really, if he wants to go after money, then he seems he seems like someone who'll do that over the summer, but he's already got his bag this year. I would think he would go to a contender, and the Lakers, while you could probably talk yourself into them maybe beating any team that isn't the Warriors, you'd want to go somewhere that has a better chance of, of beating Golden State. And maybe that's something they could look at, whether it's Trevor Reza, maybe Damari Carroll's playing well, although I don't know if Brooklyn would want to get rid of him. Uh, but that that seems to be unless they're really going to empty their treasure chest or dangle it, that seems to be kind of the ceiling on a move. Yeah. And I think I would rather, if I'm the Lakers, and I obviously don't know if they feel this way, I'd want to just let the young guys continue to take their lumps and see what they look like after a full season with LeBron. Continue to play a bunch of minutes to Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, Alonzo Ball. Um, and, And if you want to do something drastic, wait for the summer. That would be... That would be the approach that I would take. And in um, case anyone's wondering, I have not yet sold my KCP stock. So getting close, still, though, I think. <laughs> I feel like mildly in on KCP, too. I, I, I vacillate on that one. Uh, Jacob, at Jacob underscore NBA. True or false, De'Aaron Fox will be the best point guard from the 2017 draft class. Um, I actually wrote about this minimally a couple weeks back, and – I think the only one who, unless unless Marco Fultz gets a lot better, the only one who I could really see rivaling De'Aaron Fox at this point is Lonzo Ball. Oh, yeah. Um, this season, Fox, I mean, he's taken off. That uh, Grant Hughes story that you sent me yesterday was awesome, and that's that's one that people should check out. Go to Grant Hughes' Twitter timeline and look for the De'Aaron Fox article. But he's averaging 20 points, 7 assists, and 4 rebounds, basically. Um, his true shooting percentage is right around 60. It's a huge leap. Some of these numbers could come down a little bit, but I, it, he looks very much for real to me. I'm just going to rattle off some box plus minuses of point guards from that draft last season. Uh, Fox is at 1.8. Uh, Lonzo, 0.4. I'm going to throw Donovan Mitchell in there, even though he's a shooting guard. I, I still think there's a chance he ends up playing point guard. He's minus 0.6 this season. Um, Frank Nilakina minus 4.4 who am I missing Dennis Smith minus 3.2 is that it Fultz he's minus 3.3 he's and De'Aaron Fox is shooting by the way 42.3% from beyond the arc on 3.3 attempts per game he's also shooting above 38% on pull up 3 pointers which account for almost a fifth of his (laughs) shot attempts so he looks really good. I point guard was, I, I think probably the most hyped position of that draft class uh, with, with good reason. Uh, the top two picks were point guards. Dennis Smith went high on the lottery. Um, Fox went high, high on the lottery. So to emerge from that 
much hyped group as the best would be would be quite a little feather in his cap, and I think it's absolutely possible for De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, it's I, I as of right now, he is the best point guard from his draft class. It's a matter of yeah, if we stop now, he would be yeah for sure. All right, um, I'm so gonna, quick too. He's so fast. Yeah, he's he's um, really explodes off those pick and rolls. There's some good clips in that Grant Hughes story too, and there's a good quote about it from. Uh, Vladi Dibots on his quickness. GT underscore Hughes, if you want to check out his piece. I'm, I'm glad you did that because I couldn't remember where the underscore was. <laughs> I'm going to combine a couple questions on this next one. Misser of Cove. I'm, I'm assuming this is a 76ers fan who misses Robert Covington. Um, at any underscore bull. What do you have to say to people who believe Duran is better than Curry? And then Sam Teets at next big sport guy. More essential player to a championship team, Curry or Durant? And I'll let you take this one first. Okay, so there's just the, the difference, the way that Curry operates, one, is something that I think is undersold. Durant prefers to operate inside the arc, which is fine, and he's always shot the three ball well. But where defenses have to pick up Curry, they could technically do that for Durant too, but that's just not – he's not going to take a 30-footer off the dribble that like as often as Curry is. And there's just an inherent pull there. And that's going to just yep. open up things for the offense even more. I went deeper, though. And so I looked up their minutes without each other since Durant came to the team. And so when the when Curry plays without Durant, he's totaled, since Durant came to the Warriors, 1,570 minutes. The Warriors' average net rating in that time, 13.9. When Durant plays without Curry over these same two-plus seasons, 1,885 minutes, so about 300 minutes and change more than Curry, the Warriors' net rating during these minutes is (laughs) 2.6. I looked at the same span, two-plus seasons, when they play as the only star. No Draymond, no Clay, and they don't have the – if you're Curry, you don't have Durant. If you're Durant, you don't have Curry. Mm -hmm. Curry – during this span has played 217 minutes of I'll call it me time. The Warriors average net rating 12.2 Durant has played 407 minutes of me time. The Warriors average net rating during this time minus 4.9. And I'm not going to use that one for their playoffs because the sample sizes are so ridiculously small for both of them. They're both sub 70 minutes total, but in the playoffs, so two postseason campaigns, Curry has totaled 253 minutes without Durant. Golden State's average net rating during that time, 13.4. Kevin Durant has totaled 392 postseason minutes without Curry. Golden State's average net rating during that time, 1.9. And if it's a matter of who do you want taking the last shot because Durant can more easily rise over defenders, that's an okay argument, but that doesn't sway the entire picture then. This whole thing that you can that you can stop Curry, yeah, maybe you can impede his individual efficiency you cannot change the impact he has on the way a defense approaches the entire game that's just never going to change whether he's making shots or not because the idea of Stephen Curry the idea not Stephen Curry himself the idea of Stephen Curry is the single biggest non-LeBron threat in the NBA and it might even exceed LeBron at some point Uh, probably not because he's incredible but I'm just saying the idea, just the concept of Stephen Curry and what he does is the scariest non-LeBron thing in the NBA. Yeah, those are excellent numbers. I agree with all that. Um, to add to your very first point, in addition to having to pick Curry up like 30 feet from the rim, there's also a lot less ISO when he's the main guy. So that's another thing that makes it a little bit more difficult to fall asleep on defense. Um when it's, you know, just Curry as opposed to just Durant. If he, and then on your last point, <clears throat> if he stays healthy healthy and plays at this level for the next two or three seasons, he's going to have the best offensive box plus minus in NBA history. Um, he's rapidly closing in on LeBron there. Uh, and then over the last, basically, not basically, since Durant joined the Wizards, jeez, I'm all over the place. Since Durant joined <laughs> the Warriors. Foreshadowing, uh, is that what was it? <laughs> 
Curry tops Durant comfortably in box plus minus. They're they're basically dead even in Winchester's 48, 244 for Curry, 243 for Durant, and pretty even in true shooting percentage too, 647, 643. Um, I think your numbers illustrate this a lot better, um, that they're just better when he's on and Durant's off than they are when Durant's on and, and he's off. He is a... <laughs> There, so many different people have described his offensive impact in so many different ways. Um, and I think at the end of the day, he's going to have an argument for being the best offensive player in NBA history. I really do believe that. He's already uh, a top 25 player of all time, right? Is can we? Kind of, I would put him even higher than that. Yeah, I just, I'm trying to be not so incendiary. I would put him higher, but I know everyone's rankings better. But that, he's a top 25 player. Like if we just cut through the bullshit, he's top 20, maybe even top 15 already. And there's a chance that he's yeah. going to be top 10. Yeah. And um, somebody put it this way on Twitter, and I can't remember who it was, but it, he he's the best shooter of all time. I think that's pretty much um, accepted. There may be a few outlying people here and there who, who take somebody else. But best shooter of all time, possibly the best offensive player of all time, um, that's a guy who's got to be in like the top 10 to 15 conversation. And I, I'd already have him there. And – like you said, I could see him rising even higher. It's just, it's crazy. Um, and for anyone who thinks that I was just deliberately leaving out the small me time numbers in the playoffs, both Durant and Curry, when they play alone, are getting absolutely slaughtered in the postseason. Curry's okay. net rating during those two seasons, minus 19.9. Durant's is a minus 11.9. So if you would, uh, again, and we're talking about combined, that's less than mm-hmm. 80 minutes. So. Just in case anyone thought I was just trying to skew the numbers in Curry's favor, they're both absolutely terrible when they're on their own in the postseason. Yeah, I think those numbers uh, very comfortably back Curry. Our next question comes from Corey DeMoss at C-O-R-E-Y-D-E-M-O-S-S. Where does Steven Adams rank among the NBA centers right now? Ooh, I'm going to uh, throw this to you, Mr. Rudy Gobert fan. <laughs> the only centers right now who have more wins over replacement than Adams – are Jokic, Anthony Davis, Rudy Gobert, Joel Embiid, and Nikola Vucevic. Um, I don't know if I'll put an exact number on Steven Adams. I'd say he's probably a top 10 center right now. I think that's safe. Uh, one thing that's been interesting to me this season is how much better OKC's been with him on the floor. Right now they're plus 11.6 points per 100 possessions. That's 95th percentile uh, when he's on the floor. And then they're minus 6.3 points per 100 possessions, 22nd percentile when he's off. Um, those are from cleaning the glass. He's He's been more of a net rating swing than Russell Westbrook so far this season for the Thunder. So he's quietly had a really, really strong season. I think he's averaging around 16 and 10. He's doing his typical domination of the offensive boards. Um, he doesn't get a lot of blocks, but he's a really smart positional defender. He's extremely strong. Um, is there a big who slips screens better than him in the NBA today? He is amazing at that. That's a great thing to bring up. Uh, uh, this is a cop-out, but I'm going to say he's comfortably top 10. So Adam Fermel and I, when we did Bleacher Report's top 100 players, ranked him ninth among centers. And here, this is going into the season, so maybe perception of this has changed, but here are the bigs we put in front of him. Clint Capella, Andre Drummond. I think there's probably a big case to be made there. Al Horford. Yeah. Carl Anthony Towns, Nikola Jokic, Rudy Gobert, Joel Embiid, and Anthony Davis is a center. And anyone who doesn't think that could, should just stop at this point. Especially this season, yeah. I would say there's points to arguable points to be made about Drummond. Maybe the, the on-off numbers hate Clint Capella this year, FYI. But I think we know better. So Yeah, they love Isaiah Hartenstein. Yeah, so it's just... If you want to say Drummond, uh, I know some people will probably say Al Horford too at this point. I'm not there yet, but he's he's top ten, obviously, and you could probably make a top seven case for him if you really wanted to. I think that's fair. Um, all right, any, anything else on Stephen Adams? His accent is fantastic. <laughs> he is one of the funniest guys in the league. I I really want to get him uh, into some kind of a movie at some point in his life. Ooh. Do you know about Taika Waititi? No. <laughs> he's a director, and he's from New Zealand, and he's done some really funny stuff. Um, he was behind the show Flight of the Concords, which I love. This what you will know. He directed Thor Ragnarok. Fantastic uh, movie. And he also voiced um, 
who's the big rock guy it looks kind of like the thing but he just had a bunch of funny one-liners from that movie what's his name oh my god i have no idea uh you know who i'm talking about though yes he's like the i can't even remember so that's google rock guy from thor (laughs) (laughs) that's taika waititi uh he also he directed the movie and then he voiced that his character Korg. korg that's right um we got to get Steven Adams into a Taika Waititi movie. That's that just has I'm to happen. Officially on board, and I didn't even know that this was a conversation that was going to happen. It seems like and, you've given real thought to it, though, which is spectacular. Oh, I have. <laughs> Every time Steven Adams plays, <laughs> so Andrew Beckner. Um, this is another combo question, and then uh, at Mark underscore Trova. Andrew's question is more upside. Slash, who would you want going forward, Lonzo Ball or Trey Young? And then Mark's question is, Lonzo Ball just bad? Uh, first, I answered that second one quickly. The answer is no. I, I'm still in on Lonzo Ball. Second question, uh, I think Lonzo Ball has more upside than Trey Young as well. Rookie Lonzo, 1.7 box plus minus, uh, 0, 0.053 win shares per 48 minutes. Rookie Trey Young... Minus 4.6 box plus minus and minus 0, 0.019 win shares per 48 minutes. It's extremely rare to be in the negatives in win shares per 48 minutes. Um, I think people are rightfully still high on Trey Young. I'm, I'm not sure people are talking enough of, at how just awful his shooting has been. He's, he's taking six threes a game and shooting 24% from three. And there's, like I said, there's still things to be excited about. He's a great distributor, 7.8 assists in fewer than 30 minutes. Um, but we now have – I've done this – run these numbers before. You can even include the second half of his college season, summer league, um, all of the professional organized basketball that he's played. The shooting is bad. It's just really, really bad. And, and maybe it turns around – at some point, uh, but there's also got to be a point where people got to start to be concerned. So I'm not out on Trey Young. I just think there's more reason con- for concern than most people are showing right now. Okay, so Lonzo Ball is not bad. I'll yeah. back up that point. I'm going to respectfully disagree, though, about who has more upside. The thing that concerns me about Lonzo Ball, and I don't think this is purely the after effect of him playing alongside LeBron James, he is so passive on the offensive end to a fall. He's shooting yeah. more threes, hitting a higher percentage of his threes, but he is still hesitant to fire away. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't attack. His drives have basically been slashed in half this year, and it's just that's a larger percentage than should come down based on playing with LeBron and seeing your minutes diminish. It's just he doesn't enter that attack mode. And for Trey Young, shooting percentages are in the toilet. The types of shots he is taking are ridiculously difficult. His handle is spectacular. The Hawks, I like the way they play offense, but they don't have a lot of offensive talent right now. They're dead last in offensive efficiency. I don't think that's on Trey Young. And here's, uh, we talk about his shooting, but the way he's finishing at the rim and creating on drives, people were concerned. That's better than I expected, for sure. Yeah, because of his length. So 108 players are averaging at least five drives per game. Trey Young is 10th in shooting percentage among all those players. He's shooting a larger percentage on drives than Stephen Curry is. And that's 57.3% for anyone who wants the exact numbers. That's absurd. So I think we're talking about a rookie. And I know Lonzo Ball is only a sophomore. But even when we've tried to weigh defensive impact, you always go back to the player who is – more of an alpha on offense because they can intrinsically, to me, impact the game more. And while Lonzo Ball could be a really good defender, great passer, if he's never going to have that scoring mentality to the point where he is still, not the word afraid, maybe maybe it's just hesitant or reluctant, reticent to shoot, catch and fire three-pointers, that's a problem. And so give me the guy who's going to be a real defensive magnet when you combine it with his with his vision. And while the shots aren't falling right now, we both tend to throw efficiency out the window when we're talking about rookies and sophomores. So forget their shooting percentages, but their styles and just the way Trey Young's fearlessness to me and how he gets into the lane and how he's not reticent to do these things against defenses. 
I think that's going to hold more value long-term. Yeah. I would just default to at some point he has to start making shots. The I know that was the excuse at Oklahoma too, that he had bad teammates and he has to take these shots. And, and maybe at some point we think, well, Trey Young is 16 games into his NBA career. I know. I know. Um, he, he just has to make shots at some point. And I will also say that to me, Lonzo Ball is still one of the most uh, enjoyable passers to watch. He hasn't sure. had to do it as much this season for obvious reasons. Um, I just love the the way he always goes for the hit-ahead pass. He doesn't dominate the ball. He always sees the open man. He seems to see the open man like a second before most guys do. Um, and then the defensive ceiling on those two is just worlds different. Um, so I, while I, like I said, I'm not out on Trey Young, but I think if I had to pick between the two, I would probably go with Lonzo. Trey Young, 43 plus percent of his shots are contested. It's just, that's crazy. Maybe he needs to improve his decision-making a little bit. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Who? Okay. Who can you name me? Because I know you can name the second leading scorer. Name the Hawks' top three scorers for me. uh, It's got to be Torian Prince. It's Mm got to be one. And then Kent Bazemore? Yeah. Hey, there you go. But that's that's for sure. You're proving my point there. Mario at MTRC underscore two. Um, how does Aiton compare to Jaron? I'm assuming he means Jackson, Wendell, uh, Carter, and Bamba, Mo Bamba. Um, I could throw a lot of different numbers out. I, I made the point earlier that they not they don't necessarily translate in audio, so maybe I'll just point or post them as a tweet later. Um, my general answer to this question is. I mentioned earlier that last year's draft class was really heavy on good guards, or at least it looked to be heavy on good guards. We'll see how they turn out. This season's draft class is loaded with intriguing big men. Um, Bamba, Jackson, Carter, Ayton, and I'll throw Mitchell Robinson in there are all comfortably above average in box plus minus right now. Um, Ayton's a much better passer than I thought he would be. Wendell Carter is doing the things that I kind of expected. Lots of assists, lots of blocks. Um, His efficiency, I think, will get better over the course of the season. Jaron Jackson looks extremely confident. Um, He's getting a bunch of blocks, too. Uh, Mitchell Robinson actually leads this group in box plus minus and win shares per 48 minutes. Um, Bamba leads this, or Robinson leads this group in blocks, too. I was going to say Bamba did, but Robinson does. Bamba is averaging over three blocks per 75 possessions. There's a lot to like about all of these guys. I think I think this draft class is loaded with solid bigs. Um, I'm not necessarily sure you can go wrong with with any of them. Um, yeah, it's Jaron Jackson's interesting. He of that bunch, maybe with the exception of Wendell Carter, he could he should be the best defensive player of that group, right? He's excellent on defense, yeah. The other thing I wonder is, and maybe at some point, he's a rookie right now playing for a team that's trying to get to the playoffs, but they need to let him do more on offense at some point. And the other thing is, can we just get him fewer minutes alongside Kyle Anderson? Because when when yeah. you have him at the three, or even at the, unless Jared, you could go four and five with him and Jared Jackson Jr. might be something they want to explore more than they have this season. And I think the numbers... Last time I checked on that combination, aside from it being a ridiculously small sample size, just weren't great. But he is, like right now, he has not been unleashed in the way that, you know, an Aiton has been allowed to, or uh, yeah, even true. a Mo Bamba to some extent, but Mo Bamba hasn't really been unleashed either. And so I'm very, I think he, there's there's the potential for me, if not ironclad right now, where he could be the best offensive player in that group. But I know Aiton kind of throws a, a wrench in that because as you said, he is a better passer than anyone thought coming in, or at least you thought, and by extension, me. But Jared Jackson seems like he might, he's going to be smooth off the dribble at some point. His effective field goal percentage, by the way, when using between three and six dribbles this season, is 60. Uh, and it, Yeah, which is just Whoa. super impressive. It accounts for, you know, most of his shots are coming with one dribble or less, but still. Huh. So I really, I that. I really like Jared Jackson Jr. I would like, though, to see him in more of a featured offensive role. And I don't know how long it's going to take for him to get there with Memphis. Just when you have 
uh, Conley and you have Conley, yeah. you have Marcus All, and there's just the name. Playing well. Yeah. Um, Paperverse. And I failed to include his at. Uh, Michael Bridges should start over Ariza going forward, right? Um, well, Bridges no. comfortably better in box plus minus, more than doubles. Ariza's Winchester's per 48. Uh, almost 8% better in true shooting and almost triples Ariza's steal percentage. I thought this two or three months ago <laughs> that the Suns should just start all the young guys and let them work through their, their take their lumps, uh, so to speak. Devin Booker at the one, Michael Bridges, TJ Warren, um, Josh Jackson, and Aiton. Just play four wings in Aiton and let them run around, uh, let them get destroyed, <laughs> give them those developmental minutes. And see where you are in a year or two. I, I never understood the Trevor Ariza pickup. It reeked of a team that was trying to compete, and they are clearly the worst team in the Western Conference. They might be if the Kings keep not sucking. <laughs> the Phoenix is the only clear team that should tank yep. in the West. Yeah, or that will could because makes the West so like it's it's a gauntlet every single year. But now if you only have one walkover team in the entire conference um it's just ridiculous and, and here there are always surprise tankers but what makes it so complicated this season is minnesota's a team that's not going to make the playoffs they're actually the second worst team in the west right now at only two games under 500 but tom thibodeau if he's there i don't think that team is just gonna bench taj gibson play all the young guys um dallas i could see them leaning into a tank but if they're going to hover close to 500, you, so they're 500 right now, right? Yeah, and they're seven and eight. And then the Kings, the Kings have zero whether or not they fire Dave Yeager. That's that whole situation is just fucked. That's so weird. But by they, the way, they have, they have no incentive. But yeah, they have no. I know there was a question I saw. They have no incentive to tank. The Spurs would be really funny if they did, but I don't know that Greg Popovich is just going to punt on a season when he's where he is at his career and people are talking about him retiring after next year. So it's just, where is you look at the Grizzlies, the Clippers, how far do they have to fade for them to lean into a tank? And so you look at Phoenix, they look like the only squad that's guaranteed because they're already inadvertently tanking. They're just not good. And yeah. poor, poor Devin Booker, just the, the load that he has to shoulder on offense. I'm at the point where, where I used to criticize him and, I'll still eviscerate his defense. It's just not fair what he has to do on the offensive end. Think about what he could do if he had anyone just setting him up sometimes who wasn't Trevor Ariza, who wasn't eight, who wasn't Isaiah Kanan. Like it's just. Yeah, that would certainly help him. <laughs> so I'm glad you made that point about the Kings in your uh, answer about the Suns, because this will be our last question for this mailbag. Mr. Nemo. At Awesome Niemeyer says, why in the world would the Kings even think about firing their coach? Um, I understand the report was that they want him to play Marvin Bagley more. The front office does, which makes sense to me. Uh, I just went on a little bit of a rant about how the Suns should be playing their young guys. And I generally think that's the right approach to take. But that's not really a coach's approach. Uh, I think for the most part, every coach wants to win, if for no other reason than to, you know, make your resume look better. Look what I did with this group in Sacramento. If you know he's going to get fired at some point, um, every NBA coach knows that, and they want to be able to show something in their next job interview. Um, and the problem so, with him is he's only signed through next year. Yeah. Um, and the Kings right now, they're plus 8.4 points per 100 possessions, which is in the 88th percentile. When De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, Nemanja Bialica, and Willie Cauley-Stein are on the floor, if you swap Bialica out for Marvin Bagley, they're minus 6.5 points per 100 possessions, which is the 21st percentile. Um, objectively speaking, if you want to win games, and right now, um, despite all expectations to the contrary, the Kings are winning games. Um, and they're doing so because, uh, and not not entirely because, but in large part because of the way that Dave Yeager is coaching. So that report was was pretty wild to me yesterday. Although it's it's kind of par for the course for the Kings at this point. Um, long story short, what I'm saying is, <laughs> I yeah, I guess I get the reasoning behind it. But it, if you're just looking at a wins and losses standpoint. Uh, Dave Yeager has certainly outperformed expectations. 
Here's my thing. I don't have a problem. Bielitsa was one of the players cited in that report, and I destroyed the Bielitsa signing because, so, because he's yeah. 30. It seems, though, after watching them, after writing a little bit about them, that he is incredibly important to just their floor balance, and they don't have another option like him with someone who can hit threes at that four or even five spot. And if you look at Cauley Stein's shooting percentages with and without Bielitsa, night and day. And this is from Cauley Stein, who just doesn't operate around the rim when you look this year. So he's important. You look at what he's been able to do in terms of creating space for De'Aaron Fox drives. Here's where Jaeger... I don't have a problem with him playing Bielitsa the way he is. Here's where Jaeger starts to lose me and where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to side with management. Ah. I know. I know. You people, Kings fans, have pointed out to me that they're out on Scala BCA, and I liked him towards the end of that 16-17 season. But him, I there's the notion maybe you should be bringing Harry Giles along slowly. I don't give two shits. You should not be playing Costa Kufos. In the report, it said that he's disappointed he's not playing Zach Randolph. Are you kidding me? These are not <laughs> players that you should be playing. And Amon Shumpert, I get you don't have other wing options, and I get he's been important to the defense um, within their main lineup or their most popular lineup. They're a lot better with Justin Jackson there than Iman Shumpert. Well, Justin Jackson needs to learn. He's how to not great, first, but, but that's their young guy. That's, you know, at least impact wise, he's been better than Shumpert. So here's my point. What, who are you mad that you want to play? Zach Randolph, Kosa Kufos, then take a hike, fire him. Because that's just, <laughs> no, that, it, uh, do you not agree? Yes, they have. No, that's true. Yeah. They yeah. have every incentive to tank. Oh, not to tank. Excuse me. Their pick is going to Philly or Boston. And so I get that you want to win, but like Marvin Bagley is the second overall pick. You didn't get Luka Doncic, who looks like a transcendent player already. Play him. Play him. And I I, I get what you're saying about coaches. His contract situation probably makes it weird. He's not. If he gets fired from by the Kings for not playing number two overall pick, I don't know how that looks. And yeah, that's true. Sacramento has been impressive, but again, you have to play the big picture. You're not here. Did they bring? They did not bring him in and say we're making the playoffs in 2018. Or this wasn't the edict they had to give him. This roster isn't built to win now. They've just been—I don't want to use the word luckily—better than expected. And I, the, you lose me at Randolph. You can't. I get, but why? Does Randolph think he was coming to Sacramento to get playing time? No, you came to Sacramento because you got a crap ton of money that no one else was going to give you, and so probably that you could be a strong locker room presence. I don't know how flawed that thinking is, but. It's just, like, that's just what it is. And you, you know, Kosa Kufos, you don't need to give him 10, 12, 14 minutes a game. No, no. Play Harry Giles more. Play Scala BCA. Play him. What do you have to lose? And do you know why they should be playing these guys? Cauley Stein is about to get a ton of money in free agency from someone relative to at least, you know, bigs don't make all this money now, but he's going to comfortably probably make $12 million or more per year in restricted free agency. Maybe he's worth keeping, but you're not at a point to win. So rather than just commit or make it so it's necessary to reinvest in him, and I'm they can. I'm not saying they shouldn't, but see what you have in these other guys. And you're already playing Bielitsa, who is important. I just don't I don't look at this roster and say, I really wish that Kosa Kuvos could play more minutes. No. No. <laughs> All right, you've kind of sold me. Um <laughs> I, I don't think Dave Yeager's a great coach. And I was, I think I was probably pretty critical of him last season. I guess I maybe just get where he's coming from. He's, he's playing a lineup that works and it doesn't include uh, Marvin Bagley, but every point you just made is, is more than valid. Uh, <laughs> I never thought I'd be signing with Kings management. And I, if Yeager's biggest defense right now is just, they tried to make me coach Zach Levine and Buddy Heald, and like that, like at the same time, with all, like that's his biggest defense. I don't know that Zach Levine would have been a great fit in Sacramento, regardless of how well he's playing in Chicago right now. So I, I just don't. I again, his contract situation probably makes it weird, but the like if this is what he's harping on, like is this just leverage to try and get an extension because it's it's not going to work. Like Zach, you can't. There's no veteran on the roster that you look at and say. Oof, I don't know what I'm going to do if I can't give him on Shumper 20 plus minutes a game. You make very, very good points for sure. And I think, uh, I think your answer to that question is a good place to end. Um, yeah. With me squeaking at the end. <laughs> no, it was perfect. 
if you want to, apologies to any questions that we did not get to. As always, uh, we really sincerely appreciate every question. Uh, like I said at the top, it's you guys generate a lot of uh, fun discussion for us on this podcast. So thank you. Um, follow Dan Favalli on Twitter at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA underscore math. As always, if you haven't rated and reviewed the show, we would sincerely appreciate that on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can now follow us on Spotify as well. Uh, tell your friends and family that they can get to us no matter what kind of phone or tablet they have. We're available all over the place. I think the two biggest ones are probably uh, Apple Podcasts and then for people that don't have Apple stuff, uh, I think Spotify is a good spot for us now. Stitcher uh, too, probably. Stitcher, yeah. Until next time, we leave you with the shout-out to Benno Udry and to should be playing more at the four, Kyle Anderson. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.